Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream. Those of you who are here in our service this morning also. We're in Galatians chapter 6. If you'll turn there and uh, our second message from this chapter, verses 6 through 10. Sharing with one another. You remember that in the first five verses of this, of this uh, chapter last week, we talked about helping one another and why that is so important among believers that we recognize those who need help and we help. Well, in verses 6 through 10, we're talking about sharing with one another, which to Paul, I think, is a primary way that we help one another. So we need to share with one another. And he has a unique way of looking at it that we're going to see. Let me give you a couple thoughts, though, before we get there. There are, there are two vital things, I think, in these verses. Uh, we read them here in our service a minute ago. But number one is the law of reaping and sowing. You've heard this, of course, uh, for a long time. You see it in the Scripture and in different places. The law of reaping and sowing is actually true science, isn't it? I mean, science is if you test something a number of times and it comes out the same, it means it's true. Basically, when you sow something and you keep reaping the same thing, then you know that that's true. That's a law that God has built into our universe. This is a world of his laws that he's made. So Paul appeals to that law here in our passage in the way of uh, sharing with one another and helping one another. There's some negatives there because you can sow to the flesh. There are positives there you can sow to the spirit. But the second vital thing that's in this chapter is that God never violates that law. And the word of God does not. Now, he doesn't talk about miracles here. That's another subject. God has the right as the creator of all things to step in, do things another way if he wants. But the fact is, as we read his word, what God says in his word is the way it will be. And you can't violate it, and he doesn't violate it. And so our author says, don't mock God in a way that you think he won't follow his word. He will. So you know what the best way to help a person is? To share God's word with that person because it will never change. And if you sow God's word, you will reap good things from God's word. God made it that way. It will be that way. You know, in the, in the beginning of the world, uh, there was one teacher and two students. God was the teacher and Adam and Eve were the students. And God gave them his law even then. But they, we know the story, Adam and Eve then were tempted to go another way, not believing that what God said they would actually reap. And so they went the way that the tempter led them to do. They did something thinking that they wouldn't have to reap. God came back to them and said, I told you, in the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And you know what, folks? You and I are still in the process of dying because God's word is true. When you reap, you sow. And unfortunately, ever since then, human beings have been tempting God in ways to think that I can do it this way and I will not reap those things. And yet God will see to it that that happens. We're going to see that in our, 
in our passage this morning. Now, salvation is getting back on track with God, getting back in sync with God, where we were as lost people not believing in these uh, truths that God gives us. The believer gets back and says, okay, Lord, I'm back on your side. I know uh, that you reap what you sow. Growing then as a Christian then is doing more of that and learning more about what God's word says so that in our lives we reap the spiritual things and not the things of the flesh. So I want you to look at my, at my outline here this morning that I have for you. You have it on your bulletin or on the screen. And we have six verses, so there's going to be, uh, or five, I mean, so there's going to be five different thoughts here. I'm not necessarily given to alliteration, that is, having uh, all of the points begin with the same letter. Uh, sometimes I think that takes us off track. But I, I read somebody that had the first three of these, and I thought they were so good I added two more. <laughs> so uh, so uh, it, maybe it's a way to, to learn it. So notice uh, these things. First of all, I talk about the problem of helping one another, sharing with one another. Yes. Let me read that verse to you again, and that is uh, verse 6. Let him who is taught, uh, who is taught the word, share. You, you might have the word communicate, but the word share is here. In all good things with him who teaches. And so you have here in this, in this uh, verse the subject of sharing. That's what he's saying to do. Let, whether it's the one being taught or the one teaching, share the word. And that is important when we share with one another and help one another. So koinonia is that word. We, we get our word fellowship from that word. Sometimes in the Bible, that speaks of sharing our finances with one another. And as a matter of fact, this word is used by Paul in his other epistles to, to mean share in your finances. I don't think that's what Paul means in this passage. I can't see Paul at all asking the church, uh, please pay me for, uh, you know, for this letter or for what I'm saying. Uh, so here I think it is just simply what the word means, and that is to share with one another, to have fellowship with one another. Now, Two things in this, uh, under each of these points I want to point out from each verse. First of all, this idea of teaching. Someone is being taught, someone is teaching. That happens throughout our lives. And, and often we're the one teaching and often we're the one receiving the teaching. Uh, it's just the way life is. But I would like to say this. I think from Paul's point of view, the most important thing, the most important ingredient in worship is the teaching of God's Word. We, we have come to a place even in, in kind of our generation where we've separated worship from teaching. You know, you, you could be in a church where they say, okay, let's put our hands together and clap and let's worship. And now that the worship is over, okay, let's open our Bibles and let's do some teaching or preaching. No, to Paul, the teaching is the central thing, the sharing of God's Word. Our history as independent churches and as Baptist churches uh, puts this pulpit in the middle of everything in this room. This is the center of this room because this is where the teaching of God's Word goes out. So I think Paul does that always uh, with God's Word. And he's doing it here 
in this idea of sharing or teaching. Now, I want you to notice the voice here. You know, every, every action or verb has tense, mood, and voice. And you see the word teaching twice in this, in this verse. One is in the passive voice. The other is in the active voice. You notice that, right? There's someone who is being taught. That's the passive voice here. Someone is receiving. And then there's someone who is teaching or teaches. That's the active voice. It has to be that way. It all, it, you know, when you go about your day, you may be the one uh, being the active person and someone else the listening. You did that constantly, raising your children. Uh, you were always the one teaching. And uh, at other times, you're listening to something else, and you're the passive one. So that is key, and sharers do both. And the way we help one another is actually in both of those ways. Now, I'm sure Paul emphasized this as an apostle to his churches. Here's the church, the churches, plural, in Galatia. And any pastor, any teacher in, in a class... Uh, is doing this same thing where there's someone teaching and someone receiving. As a matter of fact, the Bible admonishes us older saints to be teaching the younger ones, right? Uh, that's, that's the way it happens in life. That's the way it happens in God's church too. So there's two sides to teaching, and uh, both sides are important. But now this word sharing, see that you share. And again, uh, it is this, this idea of communicating, which is a, that, that's a good English word, actually, for sharing. We have, to, we have to communicate. But notice here, let him do it. Let this happen. This is important. So here's something that I think, if there's a takeaway this morning, I want you to get this. Right here in the first verse. It's an interesting thing to me that... The one he commands is the hearer, not the doer. The passive one. He says, let him who is taught share. And I'm thinking to myself, no, isn't the one doing the teaching the one sharing? Aren't I sharing the word of God with you? But notice that Paul turns it around and says, now you who are listening, you share with the one who's teaching. And you think to yourself, well, that's, that's, it kind of sounds backward. Why is it like that? It is because what he's admonishing all of us, whenever we hear, whenever we're the receiver, share in the good things that you're listening to. Share in the good doctrine of God's Word. Share in the, in the teaching of God's Word that builds you up and that encourages you. You Share in that. And so the idea is share in biblical truth, share in good advice, share in wise counsel, share in warnings that come your way. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home after church and eat dinner with my wife. And we're going to sit down at the table and uh, what are we having, honey? I don't know. But suppose, suppose we had uh, a pot roast in the oven. And I'm going to sit down, and you know what? I'm going to share in that pot roast. Now, I didn't do a thing to fix it. 
I, I didn't get it ready. I didn't add the stuff to it. I didn't season it. I didn't put it in the oven. But I'm going to sit down and I'm going to share that meal with my wife, right? That's exactly what Paul is saying here to all of us who find ourselves at the point where we're listeners or, or hearers and learners. I'm going to share in this. This is the meat of God's word. This, this is the food that God needs to give me. So we're sharing a meal together is what we're doing, even though I, right now, at least, I'm the one talking and you're the one listening. An hour ago, I got to listen and Gordon got to talk. You know, I, I find that the longer I go as a preacher, a, a teacher of God's word, I long for and love those times when I get to be the listener. I, I look to listen to those. I want to go hear this guy preach. I want to listen to this. I want to read that book. I want to hear what other people have to say. And that is sharing as, uh, as we have it. Linsky put it this way in his commentary. There are not only burdens in which we must fellowship and aid those who bear them. There are also good things, spiritually and morally beneficial things, in which we should delight to have fellowship. And that's what we're doing even right now. So the problem is in sharing, but we find the solution to that in the teaching and the back and forth receiving. Secondly, the principle. So if that's going to happen, what does Paul say in verse 7? Right away, <laughs> don't be deceived about this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. Familiar words, we've seen it a number of times, but here it is in this idea of sharing. Now, I call it the principle, and there are two principles here to look at. One is God's principle, and the other is the principle of nature, or God's creation, how he made this world. First of all, he says, God is the creator. He's the original teacher. He's the one that made this machine. He ought to know how it works. And he knows what is going to happen in the world that he made. And so he says, understand, God isn't mocked. You cannot violate what he says here and get away with it. You just, it just won't happen. And so right away he says, God is not mocked. You know I like to look at these words, and uh, do you, here's the funny thing about it. Do you know what the, the, the Greek word for the nose is? It's the word mockter. In other words, to mock literally means to turn up the nose. Hmm. <laughs> you know, well, I heard that. Well, I don't believe that. We turn up the nose at something that we hear. And that's the idea of mocking. And so to turn up your nose at God, Eve did it and Adam did it, didn't they? Because the devil said, well, God said, when you eat, you'll die. And he said, you'll not die. Well, okay, we'll just do it. That's turning up your nose at God. When God says, you will reap, if you sow that, you turn up your nose at God. And guess what? You're going to reap it. You're going to reap it anyway. But don't be deceived about what uh, you're doing. So he is mocked often and every day. 
he's mocked on the one hand by carnal Christians who need to live a certain way, and they're not doing it. And they're just not going to, even in their Christian life, not going to do it. They're mocking God. And, of course, he's mocked every day by unbelievers who don't believe that there's life after death and they don't believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God or that he rose from the dead. God is mocked every day in that way. But mocking will never get you anywhere. In the end, you're going to be wrong. Judgment will come at last. As a matter of fact, in verse 8, we're going to see the word corruption. It will bring corruption to your life. The Expositor's Bible, I'm reading you a couple things this morning. The Expositor's Bible uh, commentary said this, Envious and restless men who break the church's fellowship of peace will reap at last even as they sow. The mischief and loss may fall on others now, but in its full ripeness it will come in the end upon themselves. The final reckoning awaits us in another world. And as we act by God, by his church now in our day, so he will act hereafter by us in his day. But this, the reaping time is coming. Now, that, there's a principle with God, therefore. But then he brings up this universal principle, this principle of nature, right away in verse 7, when he says, because, or for, whatsoever you sow, that will you also reap. And the Bible is full of these kinds of warnings. Let me give you just a few. And actually, you can, if you look up the words reaping and sowing, you can find many of these in the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountiful, bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Job said years ago, 4.8, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Proverbs, Solomon said, 131, Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Uh, you know, you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind, he said. Psalm 126 is a positive way where Paul puts, or I mean, uh, David puts it this way. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaths with him. And so the Bible is full of this universal principle of sowing and reaping. So I want you to Look at verse 7 and notice three specific uh, things or words. The first one is whatever. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. This is true, of course, in the physical world of seeds and crops, right? Seeds and flowers or whatever. Whatever you put in the ground, that's what's going to come up out of the ground. There's no sense in you putting this seed in the ground and praying that God will raise this plant over here. It's just not, he's not going to violate that law. It will happen that way all the time. But it also happens, and I think this is one of the reasons why this passage is here. It happens with the flesh and it happens with the spirit. Those are seeds that you sow. So if you go back to chapter 5, from verse 19 to 21, here are the seeds of the flesh. If you want to sow those, that's what will come up. 
And then in verses 22 and 23, if you'll sow these seeds to the Spirit, that's what will come up. And I think that's why he's using this common analogy now in the next chapter to help us with these things and warn us. And even as we teach or are taught, we have to apply these kinds of things. Notice also then the reference to the individual, verse 7, when he says, Whatever a man sows, that who he will also reap. The person who sows it is the one who reaps it. You can't blame these things on somebody else. You can't say, well, God, you know, as a matter of fact, what did Adam and Eve do? Adam immediately said, it's the woman that you gave me. And she said, it was the serpent you let talk to me. No, what you sow, you reap. The man who does it, he will reap these things, the very person. And then the third word I want you to know is that. So that he will also reap. Another way of saying, whatever you put in the ground will come out. Someone has noticed about sowing and reaping from this that there's a, there's a, a quantity and a quality. The quality is whatever thing you put in the ground, that's the thing that will come up. If you put a kernel of corn in the ground, it's a corn stalk that comes up. If you put a, a kernel of wheat in the ground, it's a wheat stalk that comes up. That is, that is the quality and if you sow to one of those things in verse 19, if you, if you sow these, you are going to reap these in your life. But then there's a quantity to sowing and reaping. And in God's world, the quantity is you always reap more than you sow. So one kernel of corn that you put in the ground grows a whole stock of ears of corn, each of which have hundreds of more seeds on them and that's always true so everything that you plant gives you back more and you know God did it for our benefit God did it in this world uh, and he said uh, everything will produce after its kind you'll reap what you sow you put it in the ground this is what you'll get and so everything gives us more back than what we put in and that can be a, a great positive thing. And if you sow to the Spirit in your life, think of the things that the Holy Spirit's going to give back to you. But if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap more than you bargained for. There is somebody said, you can't sow your wild oats now and not expect a harvest. You're going to sow those. You're going to reap those also. So we have a, a problem. Then we have this principle, this universal principle but now the products, in other words, now let's apply it to what we're talking about, he says. So verse 8, he who sows to his flesh, oh yes, chapter 5, the works of the flesh are these. He that sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, oh yes, back in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so here are the products, the flesh and the Spirit. I, again, that's why I think they're here. Now, I want, you to, I want you to notice some direction indicators here, if you will. So let me give you this little detail. Notice the word to. 
He who sows to the flesh, here's a direction, will of, and that's the other direction, will receive back. Very literally, in, in that language, these little prepositions mean a lot. You have the word E-I-S, ace, which is into the flesh. He who sows into the flesh, and then the word of is the word ek, or E-K, ek, means out of. You can sow into, and you reap out of. You can see it, of course, in the, in, in the physical picture of planting something. You, you're going to plant this seed into the ground. You're going to put this into this, and then later you're going to reap this out of the ground. And so that's the action that appears twice in this verse. If you sow into your flesh, go back to that list and look at it. If you sow into those things, if that's the soil you want to live in, if those are the seeds that you want to plant, it's out of those very things that you're going to, you're going to reap. And the same thing is true with the Spirit. You know, Paul in Romans 8 put it this way, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Notice the word corruption in our verse. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. And we have that verse in here also. And so... At, at the end of these first three points, I want to I stop and give you what we, could, we ought to call a universal principle. And that is, these things are true for believers and unbelievers. You can't avoid this either just because you're a believer. If you sow this way, you're going to reap this way. So Notice in our ver the last verse, verse 8, the word corruption, and at the end of the verse, the word life. There's two things that you will reap if you sow. Now, the word corruption, when you, well, let me reference that at the end of the verse, when you have everlasting life, we think of, okay, Christians have everlasting lives, uh, life, lost people don't. But Christians have corruption, and lost people have corruption. It's just true. As a matter of fact, uh, that word, I looked it up, even in that language, and here is a word about corruption to lost people. Second Peter 2.19 says, While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. Of course, a lost person is corrupting. A lost person is living in their sin. A lost person is, is just trying to get by in this world. And in the end, he will lose his life and be in the lake of fire forever. That's corruption. But then in Romans 8.21, that same word can be used of believers because the creation itself will also... Uh, be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You and I are living in corruption right now. In case you didn't notice it, we're getting older. In case you didn't notice it, we have aches and pains. We break. 
Uh, we can die of all kinds of accidents, diseases, and everything else. And if you feed your flesh, you'll die that way too. And so it happens to you as well. Let me read you a couple guys. I, I like reading these guys. John MacArthur, who, who said this. I thought this was good. The believer is not exempt from the consequences of his own reaping. He continues to reap the earthly heartaches, wounds, shame, and pain of his own sins and foolishnesses. God's law of cause and effect still operates in the lives of his children. How many Christians have you known that have strayed off into some sin? Maybe it's some kind of addictive sin like alcohol or drugs or something like that, and it ruins their life, and it ruins their family, and they can't get away from it. Do you think because they're a Christian that's not going to bring them corruption? No. We still have to live with this, and it, it can still happen to you too. But also the lost and the saved. Uh, I like reading Douglas Moo, M-O-O. -O. He's, uh, he's a great commentator. He said it this way. Listen to this. The Spirit has taken control of believers. L let, me, let me stop before, before I read that and, and uh, add this. You as a Christian have still have the old nature, right? You have a sinful nature. And that's why if you sow to that sinful nature, of that sinful nature, out of that flesh, you're going to reap corruption. A lost person has a sinful nature, right? And that's why if they sow to that nature, they're going to reap out of that nature. But a Christian also has a spiritual nature that the lost person does not have. So when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your life and lives in you, and you can sow to that spirit and reap out of that spirit, but a lost person cannot. That makes it different for you. You have an alternative. You have an option in this world. Now, let me re read uh, Moo's statement. The Spirit has taken control of believers both enabling and compelling them to an obedience not possible before. But in this time, he says, between the two appearances of Christ, that is, the, this age of grace in which we live, believers continue to be affected by the flesh, their rootedness by virtue of being fallen human beings in the things of this world. We have to live here. You have to live your, your life in this world. We just heard in the last hour, Romans 7, 25, with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul says, I'm, I'm between these two things. I have the newness of the spirit, but I have the oldness of the letter in me. And so what are we saying in our verse here? We're saying here, here are the products, the flesh and the Spirit, and you as believers have them both, and you can choose how it's going to come out for you in this life. So the promise. Let's go to the, the last two. That is verses 9 and 10. Now, I will say here that I think Paul now kind of directs all of his thoughts to believers, though the first three verses are in a way true even of unbelievers. Here, notice he says in verse 9, let us, 
not grow weary. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. He's speaking now to believers. And in verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. So now I think in these last two things, uh, he's speaking more directly to believers. So in verse 9, I see a condition and an admonition. The condition is, believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us. Notice that condition. The Bible doesn't, doesn't admonish you to do something because you have no ability to do something else. The Bible admonishes you to do something because you do have the ability to disobey. You do have the ability to do it some other way. So let us it is like a, a soft command, maybe I could say, a way of putting it. Uh, he could command in a very sharp way, but he says, let us, kind of like an invitation. Let us do this. And what is that? Let us not grow weary while doing good. In due season we shall reap, but notice again the condition, if we do not faint. Number one, Christian brother or sister, you will reap what you sow in this life too. You, could, you can see your life corrupted. You can see your life broken. You sow these things to the flesh, you'll live with them. It's not that there's not forgiveness. It's not that, that you can't get your life on track. But the scars, the consequences, the things that are left, you will, you will carry the rest of your life. But not only that, believer, you'll stand before the Lord at the Bema seat. And things that were sown to wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt up with fire at the Bema seat of Christ. The things that are sown to gold, silver, and precious stone or to the Spirit will bring reward at the Bema seat of Christ. I don't know why it is that sometimes we as believers think that that's kind of a wrong-headed thing to have in the Bible, as if that, that, that we expect to be rewarded for our Christian life. Not in this life, and we say that over and over again. As a matter of fact, if you want the applause in this life, enjoy it because you won't get it in the next life. But God will give us the applause. God will give us the, the, all of the reward that we need. But it's there. That's the whole teaching of the Bema Seat of Christ. And so that's a condition. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Paul said it this way, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. I want to be well-pleasing to the Lord, present in this life, or when I see him in the next life. Because the very next verse, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. And so there's a condition, even for us believers, there's a condition that we, that we understand. We reap in this life, reap and sow, or sow and reap, excuse me, and we sow and reap toward the next life. So what's the admonition? Well, that we come back to the let us, and, and notice uh, now in verse 9 again, let us not grow weary while doing good. Are you weary? Well, we get that way. 
Life can be hard. Serving the Lord can be hard. It can be long. Uh, the, the battles that we fight can be long battles. Don't grow weary, meaning losing heart while you're trying to live the right way and sow the right way in this life. The, the Holman Christian Standard Bible put it this way in this verse. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. <laughs> Doesn't mean you give up your salvation, of course. You just say, I'm tired of living the Christian life. Well, I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of reading my Bible. I'm tired of going to church. I'm tired of witnessing. I'm, I'm tired of all of this stuff. You not think that there are believers who come to that in their life? Sure there are. There are lots of them. So he admonishes us here not to grow weary in doing good. Don't lose heart. And then notice the, the reference to due seasons here. For in due season we reap if we do not lose heart. You know what? Sowing and reaping can be a long season. Right? You, you sow in the spring, you reap in the fall. And summer's a long way across sometimes. And sometimes what you sow to the Spirit in this life, you won't reap for years and years. I know many of you are praying for lost people that you have been praying for, even your own family members, all of your lives. And yet, the reaping has not come yet. Sometimes we just say, maybe it's not worth it to keep doing this. Maybe it's not worth it to keep. We begin sowing with our children the moment they come into our home as babies. And we are putting into their lives for the rest of our life. And even it's a long way down the road till we see anything come out of that. There's a lot that we sow and takes a long time to reap. You know, there there's this expression in 1 Timothy 5 at the end of the chapter where Paul says it like this. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some follow later. And then he says, likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. It's just that you will reap whatever you sow, whether immediately or whether down the road. So, Condition and admonition, both in this promise. And then we have one more thing to look at, and that's in verse 10. I call it the priority given here, some to the world and other to the brethren. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Opportunity, let us do good, by the way, I think is this idea of sharing. We ought to keep in mind that we're bringing that all the way through. It's the Word of God teaching us that keeps us from sowing to the flesh. It's the Word of God that, that we listen to that helps us sow to the Spirit. So keep doing that good and do it to everyone, everyone that you see. They're human beings too. Why do we, why do we try to be sharers even to the world around us? Well, let me give you a few reasons. Number one, we're fellow creatures with them. We live in the same world they live in, and they live in our world too, and we have to share this space with them. Number two, unbelievers are blind, and 
because they don't have the Spirit, they can't sow to the Spirit, and what access to that do they have except through you? They need you. They need that light coming through the window from you. And thirdly, judgment is coming for them. Do we have any burden in our lives at all for the fact that a person dies and is in hell for eternity? I, I honestly don't wish that on my worst enemy. If I have, I don't know what the worst enemy is. But, I, but why would it? We know they're going there. That ought to give us great patience with them. And there's no greater use of our time than to sow good in this world. Use your time that way. Now, second, the second part of the priority is to the household of God, to brethren. And he says, especially to those who are the household of faith. That word, specially, is often uh, used in the New Testament where here's a big circle, but inside that, here's a small, specially circle. This, this especially to these people. Believers are human beings. Believers are part of the whole world, but they're a special part of the whole world. They're the household of God, too. Why do we do that? Well, number one, family naturally comes first in our lives. When you, when you help, you help your family. And that's the most natural thing in the world to do. And, and the second reason goes with that, because they're the closest. <laughs> they're right there. They're, in, they're under your roof. They're in your household. And we, we ought to do these things, sharing with one another as brothers and sisters, because we're close, because we're here. He can admonish a church in Galatia to do this. He can admonish a church in Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae to do this. He could admonish the church in, in Smithville, Missouri to do this because that's where we are. And these are the people we gather together with. Somebody will carry on after us. And so we invest in their lives. We invest in those coming behind us. We invest in our children. We uh, invest in our younger people. We do it because we're going to be gone and they're going to remain. And finally, folks, we just do it because they're God's children. Because God loves them. Because they belong to Jesus Christ and so do we. So, five verses and five principles that help us help one another. And that is sharing one another. And remember, the key idea is whether you're listening or whether you're teaching. And I say to you, you do both. You, you do them both at some time in your life. Then it's because whether listening or teaching, these are the good things of God. We're, we're just eating this meal together, so to speak. So the best way to end up well at the end of your life is to share the things of God without getting weary, without growing tired, even more so as we get toward the end of, of, the, of our lives. Remember, we're like a, a link chain, and we're just one link in a long chain. There's somebody ahead of us and somebody behind us, and this link in the chain is hanging on to the link ahead and pulling the link behind, isn't he? We're always learning from somebody. We're always teaching somebody. 
that's sharing. If we're sharing God's word, keeping people from sowing to the flesh and helping them sow to the spirit, including ourselves, uh, then we will reap good things in this life. And that's what Paul's admonishing us to do. All right. Stand with me, if you will. I enjoy, I'm enjoying these uh, application passages at the end of the book of Galatians. It's a very doctrinal book, uh, but Paul then practically brings this uh, to us in, in very special ways. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this. Thank you, Father, for the meal of just partaking of your word. I know that often I speak as one doing the teaching, but I love to be the hearer too. I love to be the learner. And I think, Father, all of us here love it both ways. And when we really examine it, we really realize that we do both things. But Father, in our church, whether it's visiting with one another and shaking hands or, or, or uh, having a meal together with one another, whether it's just uh, singing songs together or whatever it is, Father, we partake of this meal together, and we thank you for that. So bless us as the household of God here, and bless us, Father, as we go out into this world that we may help and affect others also. But, Father, I pray that we would accomplish these things in our lives, that whether now or whether when we part, we will be pleasing to you. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know how to let the word affect you as we sing these songs and these words apply to your heart. You uh, respond in the way that the Holy Spirit is leading you to respond. If you need my help, I'm always right here at the front while we sing the song. Gordon, come and lead us. <laughs> 